welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. You've been crying. crying. Mm-hmm. Beauty, Beauty does, does that to me. In this irresistible, inexpensive pink episode, we're clutching our cigarette cases and climbing aboard the ocean liner with 1957's An Affair to Remember. Directed by Leo McCary and written by him, along with Delma Daves and Donald Ogden Stewart, this was a remake of McCary's 1939 movie Love Affair. The tale was revived yet again in 1994 by director Glenn Gordon Caron when Warren Beatty and Annette Bening took the lead roles. But tonight we'll be focusing on what happened when Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr were put centre stage as Nikki and Terry, creating the ultimate fizzy cocktail and leading audience members through the years to surreptitiously wipe a few tears on the sleeves of their polyester cardies. What is it about this mix of adultery and PR for the Empire State Building that makes us dewy-eyed? Let's find out. I promise not to sing. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice, as it really helps us spread the word. The pink champagne's on us. Oh, well, let's go and buy some then, aren't we? I suppose you can get it by the crate these days. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get some for tonight, but it would have ended up looking like ties or something like that. So. <laughs> but, um, ah, well, this um, this was, the, I guess, the first in our Valentine's 2023 double bill, Sleepless in Seattle. And, and for those who've seen Sleepless in Seattle know that this film features very heavily there. And, um, yeah, it was, um, I suppose, probably a good thing because it would have given away a lot of spoilers. Bear in mind, I've never seen this before. And uh, what a treat it was. Yeah, I mean, this is the stuff, isn't it? I mean, proper romance. I mean, it opens, doesn't it, like on that snowy scene and you get the sweeping music and the pink lettering and you just know that you're going to be in for a treat. It was a proper old school opening. I, I think... I've been on a bit of a, an adventure over the last couple of months of watching some older films and, and it just immediately takes you back there. Like you say, the, the font and the song, the, the music and the way it's presented, you know, this is kind of like, they may as well have been singing epic love story. <laughs> the first half hour or so I think is just gold. Like the dialogue is so snappy and it's like really filled with their chemistry and the kind of looks that they're exchanging and the way she doesn't take any shit from him, but it's flirtatious. It's got a really good kind of mix, hasn't it? It's not saccharine in the way the dialogue's written between them. No, I think it's easy to to bear in mind that you can think back about old films and, and, and anything of that era and kind of think, oh, yes, I'm sure the guy just did whatever he wanted and got whatever he wanted. But here he was sort of fully met with, with an equal of some point in, in many ways. And they, the dialogue between them, she enjoys his attention, but doesn't, you know, doesn't melt at the very sight of him go, Oh, take what you want and go. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, the, the pairing works so well and, I suppose, like we have talked about in other films, about how you know may- maybe this is that kind of thunderbolt thing where they're already engaged to be married to other people, and back in the fifties that was probably a bigger deal, I guess. But oh, hopefully, it's still a big deal. Well, you, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's easy to have rose-tinted spectacles on, but um, you know, being, yeah. being cooped up together on a boat 
and um and coming across each other like that it was um it's it's fun and like you say the dialogue and i think just the the casual way that he's obviously a fair bit older than her but she doesn't seem intimidated by that at all yes apparently carrie grant was only 15 years younger than the actress playing his grandmother in this film (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's made it his career and his lifestyle of just yeah. going around the world, uh, like he's, he's later on in the world, he's never worked a day in his life properly anyway, and um, going around just canoodling with ladies off boats. I suppose that's the thing. He's a, like You used the word playboy earlier, it's a pretty perfect description of him, but um, even the whatever was in the cigarette case that, um, that Terry tried to <laughs> subtly imply was rather lewd yeah i love that it's so good <laughs> and that was from gabriella so that was the um the, the lady who called him on the phone and he did the whole kind of oh yep yeah. i suppose the 50s version of i'm just going through a tunnel <laughs> signal's bad you'll have to whatsapp me yeah pretty woman starts in quite a similar way i seem to remember i think richard gear's character has a very um kind of abrupt breakup with his girlfriend over the phone where it sort of implies that he's been being a really terrible boyfriend but that isn't quite the level that um Nikki's on here in the sense of yeah having multiple women on the go at once so that I wonder if there's something in all of this about the romance of the idea of a playboy being tamed I mean I suppose Bond has a bit of that doesn't it like this idea that you know, if Bond finds the right girl, then maybe you can, maybe you can get him to change his ways. Maybe that's a bit of a dream. Yeah, it's it's ironic that Cary Grant was at one point the kind of the main person they wanted to be James Bond. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think before they cast Sean Connery, I think um, certain people involved were looking to get him as a big star to kind of get real attention for the. Um, for the project and in the end it went with someone who was relatively unknown and turned out rather well in the end but um yeah i think he you know he has that look and everything about him gives off this air of oh, i'm richer than you but i he he has a lot of fun with it i mean i just watched to catch a thief a couple of weeks ago and it looks like the, the apple didn't far fall far from that tree either it was very similar he wore slightly jauntier clothes but um you know, it's it's just such a strange thing to look at now. And I think at every point in this film, apart from when he's swimming, he's wearing a, a suit and tie. Yeah, so, uh, as was befitting of the time. Yes, completely. Uh, the first film that we talked about, which was on your podcast, Betamax, Rich, was A Fish Called Wonder. And in A Fish Called Wonder, John Cleese's character is called Archie Leach, which is Cary Grant's real name, and he's in a suit and tie all the time isn't he as well so i like that as a bit of a nod to that kind of style choice that Cary grant would always have about him you wouldn't see him in jeans and trainers and a hoodie would you no you wouldn't you wouldn't i mean i do i do like i do like a man in a suit i must say (laughs) it's a good era if you ask me one thing that i think makes him endearing even though you are given all of this negative information about him at the beginning 
of the film is how when Terry comes along, she teases him a lot. She cuts him down to size and he seems to quite enjoy it. And he takes it, you know, with a smile on his face. And there's something about that, I think, that, you know, is appealing uh, when you're watching it. As a woman, I think there's something quite nice about the idea that if a guy has been living this kind of life, if he was really defensive and took himself terribly seriously, that would give him a lot less charm. But the fact that he's kind of owning his scampish ways, yeah, I think that gives him a bit of a roguish quality, doesn't it? You've got to be able to take a joke. And I, and I think that's kind of the thing about a sense of humour. It's all well and good being able to wisecrack. But if you get too sensitive then it's boring. And I think as well, the fact that we don't see a lot, well, we don't see any beforehand anyway of, of his prior relationship. And also we have a very brief phone call with the other lady, but um, it doesn't seem like he's met someone who will, it's like sparring, isn't it? It is like it happened one yeah, night in a way. Totally. It's, um, you know, he, he enjoys it because... It, and, and again, casting aspersions, you know, I, I used to think old films were like, oh, God, no, what's that with lasers and bombs and stuff. But um, mm. watching something like this, where they're quite happy going sort of backwards and forwards, and, and he seems quite impressed by the fact that she has that kind of personality. And we've come across it in other films and other things that we've, we've talked about, where being able to have that, that connection is yeah. more than just... She's nice to look at. She's got a lot of money. She's got whatever else is appealing. And this is something like, I need to be able to spend time with this person. Yeah. And this is kind of what a guy looks for. Is that, can I spend lots of time with this person, have a lot of fun, have a laugh, and not just sit there going, right, what's for dinner tonight, my love? <laughs> Let's consult the spreadsheet. <laughs> well, this is the this is the thing he's very frank with her, isn't he, about how his relationships with women pan out? Because he has that line where he talks about how he idealizes the ladies that he goes out with, and then you know he says that he puts them up up there, up high, and um, and she says yes, and pretty soon the pedestal starts to wobble, and that's all really, um, you know, that shows you how how close they are quite quickly in a bit of a similar way, actually, to the way before sunrise pans out. We talked about in our episode about that one, how within a matter of hours, they've got to a place where those two characters are talking about their recent breakups and actually being quite honest about their own unattractive qualities with regards to the opposite sex. And that conversation isn't a million miles away from from the one we're talking about here I think I think that's quite important to show you that people are building a bit of an intimacy they can have the flirtation and you know the cocktails and the romance of it but they also need to have a bit of real real kind of frankness there don't they otherwise you think that the other person's just showing you a sort of shiny facade of who they are yeah and I'm trying to reply to that in a Cary Grant style voice of going yes of course <laughs> the polish when there's nothing underneath but I, I, again you know the the glamour of travel before sunrise which is a modern version of this film let's be honest yeah completely you know, they're on a train this lot are on a boat 
Um, in another world, they could be on a plane or, or something, planes, trains and automobiles. But yeah. there is that, that side of glamour and being stuck to a point with that person and you, while they're not being forced to chit-chat, and as you said before sunrise, you know, in a million other universes, um, Judy Delpy got up and walked away because this greasy American man is talking to her and she's like, oh, God, leave me alone. Whereas here, they're kind of met over a cigarette case and it doesn't feel like she's being pursued that much. There isn't that cat and mouse thing where you get in a lot of films. You know, She, she makes it clear that she's interested without giving everything away in the first minute but yeah i mean he comes into her cabin and kind of makes sort of makes a pass and then she says no and tells him that he's looking embarrassed yeah there's the pass but there's not the kind of he doesn't have to win her back he doesn't he doesn't scare her away too much i mean she sets boundaries and then that's it like then they know where they are this is you're right he doesn't put her it's, he doesn't put her in an awkward position. He, she just makes it clear, right? This is what, where we are. This is what we can and can't do. Obviously, that changes. But at the time, they're, they're very clear about where they are, where they are headed. If they carry on down this road, and they, the, the somewhat hilarious attempts to try and pretend that nothing's happening. Yeah. Because of course, <laughs> you're on a boat with the same people for however long it takes. So, uh, Trying to oh no nothing's going on at all yes we're not yeah, the the denials don't land particularly well yes I love I love all of those scenes like the the one where they're sitting back to back in the restaurant and everyone's <laughs> looking at them and and you get a lovely contrast don't you with them the way she's trying to stop them being snapped all the time by these photographers and then when he meets his fiance off the boat we see her kind of posing for the photographers waving at him and kind of making sure they're getting the shot oh nicky well, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Did you have a good trip? Well, not too bad. A little roughing spot, but... Oh, nice. All in for a big room. That's fine. Thank you. Oh, did you get some pigs? May I have one, two, three? Yes. How's this? Right. <laughs> no, I think he's on his way to Tansy. May I have another one, please? Oh, he's always going upstairs. Yes. Ah, yeah. uh, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> another one, please. Oh, excuse me. I have an important appointment. Excuse me. Thank you, sir. With the last one that we did was Groundhog Day, and it's funny because Groundhog Day is made a good few decades after this one, but in terms of the idea of you know, kind of things around consent and being respectful. This one holds up quite well, doesn't it? Because as you say, she she says what she's comfortable with doing and what she's not. And he doesn't push it, does he? There isn't there isn't wrangling going on at all. No. Um, and, and that's something that I, I think it's respectful enough because you do feel like maybe in, in real life or in a more modern film where they're looking for a more modern type of comedy the joke would be how far can he push the boundaries before she breaks it's like she's yes. again like we, we talked about before about in Groundhog Day about the woman is something you achieve and and she says about the pedestal and whereas here it's like he likes her and, and he sees her with his grandmother and it's like oh my god this is this is a woman this is what I want and when they start singing together and the whole thing with the was it the shawl the, yes yeah and, and they oh, it kills yeah. me oh that song oh don't get me stuck 
I'll try and whistle it. <laughs> but the um, his face during that scene, when they're mm. at the piano together, and he's like, oh my word. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. There's this little kind of, hmm, like, that's nice. <laughs> it doesn't say it, but like, his face does these kind of little, hmm, yeah. I like Yes, I, yes, he's, he's admiring her, but in a very suave Cary Grant, not, not going too, not flapping too much kind of way. It's all very cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Debonair, this girl, isn't it? Oh, he's very debonair. Uh, and it's during that scene as well that we see that his grandmother really adores him and she has quite a few very perceptive things to say, doesn't she, about him uh, when she's talking to Terry, talking about how he's so self-critical and how he's always sort of chasing the next thing, whether it be like a different girl or a different art form. And you kind of find out, don't you, quite a lot about his inner life there and how he, he's been feeling very sort of restless and wants to, if he does something, he really wants to do it incredibly well. And it does, I think his grandmother's sort of touching on this idea that he's been quite self-absorbed so far in his life. So, you know, if he does a painting, he wants to do the best painting, or if he goes out with a girl, he wants it to be the best possible girl. But there's a sort of hint, isn't there, that, you know, she says there's nothing wrong with him that a good woman couldn't make right. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's that idea, isn't it? That, like, once he meets the right person, he's just really into the right person, then he'll stop sort of, you know, constantly sort of being in competition with himself. He'll just start enjoying life a bit more and, and you know, maybe living it in a bit more of a simple way. It's nice to have standards, though. Do you know, <laughs> better to be in competition than with than with yourself. Um, but see, again, like that—that's the thing. She, I'd like to to put it into my kind of realm of understanding. She's like the Yoda, kind of in, instructs him. Oh yeah, interesting. You know, yeah. Like this wizened old thing that gets into <laughs> <laughs> trains him, but the, she coaxes this out. And it is a little bit of exposition, but it's also yeah. nice to see because all we've seen of him in the first 20 minutes of the film is like, he's a shagger. Yeah. And yeah. then it's like, actually, you know, you know he's, a, he's a nice boy because it's Cary Grant. He's a nice boy. <laughs> look, look at him. Look how well turned out he is yes. on, on a boat. He's not there in his flip-flops like he's at Butlins. But he's... <laughs> You know, he's this lovely guy. He's nice to his grandmother, who has this wonderful place overlooking. Is it the south of France? And yeah, yeah it's um. She's got a lovely dog, Rich. I thought you'd oh, like that. Well, yeah, that, that Good dog. dog. Is it Fidel? Yeah. Is it Fidel? Yeah, I think Fid- oh. Fidel. So uh, yeah, oh, well, that's her political leanings. But it's um yes. these kind of side to it, and and the sort of touching farewell, and she's like, I will write to her. Like, oh, yes, you've just met, but it's um, still, oh, it's oh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I think that there's a bit of an ongoing theme about children running through this movie. Mm. That that line about you know, that they quote in Sleeps in Seattle, we've already missed the spring, and when they go and see his grandmother, the fact that his friend turns up and he has seven daughters 
and and then obviously later on in the film the the job she gets teaching the kids to sing and I think maybe there's a little bit of kind of melancholia running through the through the film where it's like these two people maybe if they had if they had met earlier on in their lives then uh, perhaps they they might have had a family in that way and then she's hoping that that might happen with him and then at the end of the movie it's it's still not clear what might happen in that respect but yeah i think that's a really interesting component of this whole movie and and kind of gives it quite an emotional force along with lots of other aspects that give it an emotional force yeah because that that scene at the beginning where he sort of frees the little ragamuffin who's caught up in the railings yes who's a excellent ragamuffins in this film i must funny, say funny little soddy is wasn't he? <laughs> he's brilliant <laughs> he's like he's like um was it what's the guy's name george burns had written his jokes he's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just him to have a little cigar and a pair of glasses on but um she says something like, um, when I was little, I fell and broke my leg. And he says, how is it, how is it now? And she says, well, I guess it's okay. And he goes, well, then what does he say? What are you crabbing about then? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a bit of foreshadowing, isn't it? That thing of her having fallen over and broken her leg. Yeah. Yes. See, I didn't twig that until just now. But uh, that, that, that kind of thing where, again, having not seen this before yeah, and not remembering sleepless in seattle and when jumping ahead a little bit it kind of gets to that point of the film mm. and i kind of thought it was about an hour and five minutes hour and ten minutes into the film i thought yeah. oh old films are short aren't they well, she's on her way there he's on his way there they're gonna happy ever after yeah and uh yeah i suppose luckily they didn't film the the incident where she uh hurt her leg again that's one of the things i guess where uh, you could probably translate that into modern in the modern world as well because i mean we're trying to get away from the world where you kind of imagine tagging yourself on facebook like there were friends on facebook after the boat and she tagged herself i'm at a and e at new york hospital oh and he goes oh that's where she is because most self-respecting people wouldn't do that so of course he's there for however many hours at the top of the empire state building looking bored and like you know, now he gets phone out and plays uh, Snake or something. But it's um, you know that that whole scene and and even the little bits like you could hear the ambulances below and things like that. It's a, it's a very sad, not end of the affair, but a sad. You know, that that was their big that was their big moment. The fact that the grandmother in this one dies and that's kind of what brings them back together in the end because of the shawl. It's a little bit sort of similar to the way Celine can't Ooh. be at their meeting place because her grandmother dies. Yes. So, yeah, all of these parallels. So this uh, could be before Affair to Remember. Yes, exactly. Mm. Here you are, keep the change. What's the rush, lady? I'm going to be married, and I want you to be the first to congratulate me. Thank you. Marriage is something to rush to. I love their first kiss so much. I think it's incredible. 
the way it's out because, of shot. Yeah, the, the first goes incredible. You don't see it. Yeah, wonderful. You know what it made me think of, oddly? You know The Office? Yeah. Like the one time when Tim sort of really declares his love for Dawn and uh, sort of properly asks her out. And what they do is they have them taking off their... I think it's either, I think he removes his mic and they go into a thing where the camera can mm. see them, but they can't actually hear you know, you can't actually hear what they're saying for the first time in the whole series. And it's really effective in that way. I thought, yeah, I mean, obviously it's different in the sense that it's it's visually rather than with sound. But I thought, oh God, it's incredible how sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is do something where it's so private and so intimate that the audience aren't even really allowed into it. And when it's something as simple as a kiss, it's such a kind of daring move for a movie like this. And it's, yeah, it's quite sexy, I think, as well as being very romantic. Yeah. I mean, you do see a slight lifting of the ankle yes. to suggest that there is romance. <laughs> it's, um, yes. Oh, I I get, that, that's the thing. I think, um, you know, ultimately some people will have watched this and go, oh, no, don't, please, you know, you're engaged. And so we don't want to see, and especially because, the whole idea, as we come to at the end, is that they do presumably get together at the end. So why should their first kiss be something so early? Mm. Because we're, we're not robbed by it because it didn't happen. We, we don't see it because they're trying to be discreet. Um, although you think if you're the person on the upper deck and you see just two heads kissing, yes, that must look weird. I suppose if you're on the below deck and you just see two legs. Um, but no it it worked so well because it was there and 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 like you said that sometimes not seeing something is more powerful yeah you can you know it's happening but it's um but still then we find out as well that all these pictures have been taken of the two of them together while they're trying to be careful yes god forbid it hates page six or whatever yeah and um yeah it's quite amusing how they then get these photos at the end and they're paranoid that people will find out and I suppose that's New Year's Eve and they kind of throw caution to the wind anyway and just start thinking oh sorry everyone knows yes help ourselves you raise a good point about how we should be kind of judging them more at this point of the film considering (laughs) that they're engaged other people and I think that's a really it's a really fascinating thing about how this movie manages to be so incredibly romantic while talking about infidelity for quite a lot of the narrative and yeah I wonder how they managed to kind of walk that tightrope so well I suppose as you say they're very good at measuring how much physical contact these people should have before they've fessed up to their partners aren't they so as you say part of that thing of hiding the kiss from the audience is also kind of respectful of the fact that they're having an affair rather than it being out there. It's very clear that they're not sleeping together. I think that that probably plays into our into our judgment of the whole thing a bit, doesn't it, as well? Um, mm. I mean, that's one, that's one thing about uh, the before film. Obviously, they're, they're single, so they're not in an affair. But in the first before film, they do sleep together. And uh, when it comes to before sunset... There is, um, when Celine has an outburst in the back of the cab, there is maybe a little bit of an implication that the fact that they slept together might have made life a bit harder for her in the interim than if they hadn't have done because she 
found it for various reasons that she kind of talks about during that movie kind of sort of difficult to emotionally detach after that having happened so yeah some of these things are you know because obviously by 1994 it would have been far more the norm for people to sleep together in certain situations and it would have been at this point maybe so yeah it's kind of interesting to think about how some of those things can affect the dynamic between people when they're doing something where um for whatever reason they can't be together immediately in a in a relationship style yeah and i think this is the the good thing is that they're both in a similar situation Mm. um, because it would have been weirdly lopsided if one of them was single and the other wasn't or if they were you know one was married and the other wasn't or whatever the, the, the situation happened to be whereas here essentially they're on the same in the same position yes so at least they're kind of sharing those emotions and those experiences and those kind of thoughts that they have to have and, you know, how are we going to do this and all that. But it's um, when, when you put it together, you know, that, that scene where I think the old Lang Syne's playing mm. and obviously immediately you think when Harry met Sally, but it's, a, um, you know, they're, they're talking about, they start talking about the partners in ways that they haven't really at this point. And, it's like, oh, will he be waiting? Will she be waiting? <laughs> yeah, he and she, little venom there. Um, yeah, I love the ha- scene where they clock each other's partners when they're about <laughs> to get off the boat. That was brilliant. The yeah. facial acting there. Yes. But, um, yeah. But the um, the part where they're talking is, oh, what makes life so difficult? Is that people? Like, yes. Oh, <laughs> we would have got away with it too if it hadn't been a pesky fiance. <laughs> I mean, I think. I think that's part of it as well is that I think possibly with his relationship more than hers, you don't really feel that that's that much emotional investment there on either side. Maybe that's another reason why they managed to get the audience kind of with them without judging them too much. I think that there isn't like when we did Fatal Attraction, there's the scene, isn't there, where he tells his wife that he's been having an affair and like they really they really show you how devastating it is for her to hear that. And that really affects how the kind of the audience feels in that moment. And in terms of how the rest of it plays out as well, but you don't really get a scene like that in this. Do you? No, I think the, the way that the fiancés are presented in that his fiance is very, the way that she acts for the cameras it's a little bit reminiscent of that interview with Jackie Kennedy when she first decorated the White House oh, yeah. back in, like, 62. I mean, she comes across a bit more pretentious and up herself and whatever. Yeah. But it's very much like, mm, this is my room. This is what I do with the art. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and you've got that weird TV host who's just this odd thing. And, yes. and Carrie Gant's really like, oh, my God, he, he, because he's now in love. Yeah, he's just like I don't want to be here. Yeah. Get this camera away. I want to tell you we're finished, and I have to pretend I'm on TV and all is well. And then starts changing the plans. Whereas, um, yeah, uh, did you notice as well? It's sponsored by a baby food company. That <laughs> yeah. they have this like long, ridiculous baby food advert song that goes on. You know, it sounds. But but again, kind of you know, in that theme of is he gonna is he gonna really you know 
go and have a family with someone what's he gonna do and um, yeah Cary Grant's so funny in that scene that I think of him just giving these one word answers to the interviewer in this deadpan way it's like Pete Cary Grant's great this whole era is just kind of just before Mad Men so you're kind of seeing from this sort of thing where it feeds in you know with the whole the way that television works and obviously Cary Grant looking the way he does and, and men men of particular standing dressing in a certain way and coming across a certain way and he's probably very much like a Roger Sterling type but yes yeah, sorry I had to get obligatory <laughs> Mad Men reference in there but, um, love Roger Sterling so much <laughs> Sterling's gold but um <laughs> but then the, from the flip side you've got Terry's fiance yeah who it's a weird kind of it's hard to kind of read like he susses from the way that they're watching the TV show and and it becomes apparent that and was he irresistible to you? Mm, yeah. Mm, he's quite yeah. perceptive, isn't he? He's onto her quite quickly. I was thinking yeah. that. Yeah. Like, so so you were trapped alone with this debonair playboy and yeah. you, and nothing happened? Well, if your girlfriend had been on a boat with Carrie Grant, you would be worried, I think. You know, like, oh, God. Yeah, I suppose no matter what, you kind of think, oh, God. You know. Like trapped on a mega bus with Ryan Gosling. Kind of. <laughs> Is that the modern equivalent? <laughs> yeah, I think so. He is perceptive, and and his reaction to it is... It's kind of strange, because you wonder how would they be as... Would he be as magnanimous in 2023 as he was back in the mid-50s? But he's still... You know, had a little network of spies when she went to to get her her clothes for a big meeting. Yes, and uh, had his little phone call. How did you know I was here? Mm, little bird told me. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there is a lot going on because she says earlier on in the film, she says something about how uh, when it comes to business, he doesn't think I'm very bright about things like that. So you kind of get this feeling that he's been. He's been financially supporting her and educating her in things like art and music and stuff. But it's, as she says to uh, Nikki earlier on, that it's kind of, you know, it's sort of meant to be about kind of building her into this perfect wife figure. But he hasn't actually married her yet. So it's interesting. You wonder whether he has a certain amount of guilt about the fact that he has been kind of keeping her as his partner but hasn't actually married her and that maybe he kind of thinks that that might have been what led to this. The fact that she kind of on some level knows that she's been being taken for granted a bit and maybe took down to by him quite a lot. I mean, the, the thing as well is that they're not young. Yeah. They're not a young couple in... I think they're probably in their. I mean, she, I think she would have been in her mid thirties when this was made. Yeah. And him uh, and Ken, in, in his early forties, I suppose. But a, so they're not a young couple. They're not kind of newlyweds or from, you know, in the way that say another boat film, Titanic, where yeah. they're being kind of pushed together, and and she's obviously what, child. There, there is that where he's kind of been finishing her, and yet whether it's guilt or not but there's, there's definitely something there it's kind of like you know i'm not getting a return on my investment here when she's getting better and she's when she's in the hospital sorry and she's quite delirious yes yeah it's a really upsetting scene i find 
It is, and and, and he's he's quite schemy. Yes. It. Yeah. Like, let us make sure that you know the first thing she sees when she wakes up is me and everything, yeah. all the positive reinforcement, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think it's weird, weird that he doesn't sort of seek out Nikki at that point? I don't know. Maybe Possibly. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just hoping that he'll have got the hint and would have lost interest. Yes. I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of like, well, maybe he was driving the car that hit her. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like, I will stop it. I will stop this somehow. Yeah, maybe that's kind of part of his condescending attitude to her is that he just thinks that she's got a bit of a... I mean, I suppose that might, to be fair to him, if, if your partner met a celebrity on a boat, you know, if they met like someone like Russell Brand on a boat. Let's not God. compare Cary Grant to Russell Brand. I need to find who's who's some okay, Leonardo DiCaprio, there you go. There's another sort of Playboy. Uh, I don't think he it. goes on boats anymore, does he? Probably not. But and then kind of, you know, got off the boat and said, I'm leaving you for Leonardo DiCaprio, you might be a bit like, hmm, okay, maybe this is a face. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you're really gonna leave me for Leonardo DiCaprio don't know if I believe you you know it's I don't know I mean he's probably going through that thought process a bit isn't he Mm. and just hoping that she'll kind of come come through her her crush and um... (laughs) you have a date my beloved July the 1st at five o'clock but you don't say where well you name the place and I'll obey I don't know I can't think how about the top of the Empire State Building Oh, yes, that's perfect. It's the nearest thing to heaven we have in New York. The 102nd floor. And don't forget to take the elevator. (laughs) No, I won't. Because it it is true. Like, they've made made this pact, haven't they, where the two of them are going to try and become independent in the interim. And I suppose if you were him, if you were her her fiancé or her partner and and heard that, you'd think, yeah, he's not going to do that. You know, there's no way he's going to end his relationship to this millionaire woman and um, take up painting. I don't know. I think you you might well be quite cynical about the whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, six months is it, it's an interesting time frame because when you're talking about we will free ourselves from these engagements, yeah, and then meet in six months, yeah, you know, it's all well and good probably just as well they weren't married because it would have taken more than six months and and then there is this kind of develop you know he goes back to painting and and everything where all of a sudden you know he's trying to be his own man and not living off the the purse strings of his fiance but it's um you know and and she seems to do quite well at the singing (laughs) he's it's like a complete prude she's doing well at the singing yes it's it's um on the face of it it's kind of like my dream job because i always thought like just to be like a glamorous nightclub singer is just the best thing to do in the whole entire world so she's she's got it made uh but on the other hand earlier on in the film she does talk about how when she's working in that nightclub the manager chases her around so it's implied that she's being sexually harassed as a result of working Mm. there uh, which isn't good at all. So maybe no. she has to endure that when she goes back to it, which is which isn't nice to think about. Do you reckon this happens in the same universe as um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? You know that that's that's yes. on a boat, and then yes. lots of nightclub singing. They're on the same circuit. I mean, the bit where Marilyn Monroe is stuck in in the window and the 
little boy comes along and helps her. That's a little bit like the little boy being stuck on the banisters in this one, isn't it? Yeah, they've definitely flipped it. Yes. Yes, um, completely. One thing I thought, uh, again, sort of jumping a little bit towards the end, well, it is the end, is um, when he finally tracks her down to her apartment on Christmas Day. Yeah. Is it, is it actually Christmas Day? I guess it is, isn't it? I think it is Christmas uh, Day, yeah. Christmas film. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, we should, we've done it too late <laughs> or, too, or too early. Well, you can listen to this podcast every day. It's like the apartment. Yes, yes, completely. And uh, And when he tracks her down, obviously she's lying there on the sofa and he kind of comes in and then makes this big play about, oh, I'm so, you know, you must have hated me for missing that appointment and all these, you know, apologising for not being there to kind of, it's a weird kind of guilt trip kind of thing. Yes, yeah. (laughs) It's like, I was there, but I'm not going to say it. Yeah, and then she pretends that she was there. And no, well, but she's yeah, she's trying to she's trying to save him from knowing what's really happened, isn't she? And then yeah. and he he's angry, and I think there's a there's a bit in Sleepless in Seattle where Rita Wilson's character talks about this bit about how kind of bitter he is and how that kind of all is sort of you know so affecting in terms of the crescendo when he actually finds out what's happened because it does it does hit home. Uh, really powerfully doesn't it because he's been sort of reproaching her and been kind of you know just trying to really put her through the hoops there with um, the guilt tripping as you say but I think that's all quite realistic though isn't it I think you know they're they're not even though it's such a romantic film in lots of ways and has all of this music and um, great lines it's relatively realistic about how certain um about certain kind of reactions that a person might have in any given scenario and someone coming along and sort of guilt tripping you about something like that is maybe what might happen i think <laughs> maybe like i mean he wasn't gonna go bursting in there go you bitch <laughs> it's heavy there's a couple of episodes of sex and the city where this film is heavily referenced as well and uh, the fashion will have been very influential on something like that too uh yes. also shout out to Marnie Nixon who does the singing for uh Deborah Kerr in this movie and she also did it for Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady and she did it for Maria in West Side Story. Oh, wow. Which we've done. So she plays one of the nuns in A Sound of Music if you want to see okay. what she actually looked like. Well we talked about doing that at some point as well, didn't we? Yeah, I mean the sound of music is there's elements of it that reminded me of this in the sense that The Sound of Music has got quite a saccharine reputation with a lot of people. I personally love it, but some people find it too sort of sickly sweet. But when you actually sit down and watch it, the dialogue between Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews is actually really well written. It's snappy, it's dry, it's witty, it isn't saccharine, it isn't cliched. And so you're like, you know, just hats off to proper script writing. And it's the same in this as well, particularly in the first bit of the film when they're on the boat. I just, you know, you think, oh, you know, you can make really great love stories. It's very similar to the Before Trilogy in that way. You can pack a lot of romance in, but if you just do it in a way so that the characterization is good and people can be funny and, you know, not overly sentimental, you can... 
can really get people's heartstrings, can't you? Oh, darling, don't, don't worry, darling. If, if you can paint, I can walk. Anything can happen, don't you think? Yes, darling, yes, yes, yes. You know, ultimately, whatever age you watch this film or, or any film of, of this era, you kind of, it's the charisma of the people involved that sticks with you. Yeah, um, you know, She's you, so remember, classy, isn't she? Well, she is, you know, yeah. she's a classy lady. And, you know, whether it's you're watching Clint Eastwood or Cary Grant or Marilyn Monroe or anyone, you know, from from any era, that that's what sticks with you. And coming to it now and watching these for the first time in a lot of cases, you're kind of seeing how like Cary Grant's style in To Catch a Thief was basically ripped off for the new Knives Out film. To the point yes, where they're quite absolutely. open about it, yeah. um, and you know, here it's just like because every guy probably in the late fifties dressed like this, then of course you know that that style lives on, and men should wear more hats. Oh, they really should wear more hats. I completely agree. Mm. Mm. I think there's something about Terry's stoicism after her accident in this that is very affecting. And Deborah Kerr does it really well. And I think that's part of what makes the whole thing so moving is that her attitude in that last scene is so like, yeah, I don't want him to know about this. I'm just getting on with life. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. And that, that there's something about that that really gets to you, I think. It did hit you quite quickly. Um, you know, in some films, the soppy ending is, sorry, the, the loving ending is, you know, builds up over, five ten minutes whereas this is kind of okay all right they're together how's this going to work um you know she can't walk and all this and all of a sudden it's like she was the one in the wheelchair and it like it clicks so quickly and so visibly that they've melted this mahogany man you know when he goes into her barges into her room good job she tidied i know i did think that yeah it's it's, it, it was quite an emotional one because it was not that it wasn't going anywhere but you kind of felt like where is this going to end yeah you know there was a little bit of okay we've reached a truce of some kind yeah and then all of a sudden it was like ah okay but um it wasn't her lying there on the sofa and uh, they weren't listening to nina simone and suddenly it cuts out fades to black before we find (laughs) out what happens you're going to miss that boat. <laughs> so do you think it does it show us as a film that in order to have what you want something has to be sacrificed because I think that we've been maybe downplaying this aspect in our conversation but the fact that both of them are giving up not just financial security but a lifestyle where you knock back pink champagne like it's Fanta you know <laughs> And that they're like, yeah, I like you so much based just on these last few days that I'm going to give that up. And, you know, I think that that's part of what makes it a romantic film. So I think that people appreciate that that's quite a big step, that people want security in their lives. And the fact that they're both going to do that is quite a big thing. Yeah, I, I think that because it's it, you need that resonance with people. And a lot of people will have been in a position where it's kind of like, well, if you want that, you need to give up. You know, if you want Y, you've got to give up X. Literally, yeah. X. 
you know, and, and you're at a point where you have to make a decision. Do you yeah. stick or do you stick or twist? Do you stay or go? That kind of thing. And, you know, because in this situation there, the infidelity gets to a point mm. and then they kind of realize, right, right, I've got to do something about it, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, okay, they've made the decision. Then they kind of end up back where they were a little bit before they then have to push through yeah. to the end. Um, I mean, it's a bit like in Superman 2 where he gave up his powers so that he could be with Lois and then very quickly realised that wasn't the best thing to do yeah, and had to go and get them back. And at the end, it's like, oh, shit. Well, I've saved the world, but I don't have a girlfriend anymore. Um, oh, yeah. Um, spoilers for Superman 2 there. Um, <laughs> but it's... Um, but, you know, here, they, they both have to kind of make that decision. And it is like a step into the unknown. You know, you're giving up, in some cases, everything to be with somebody you love. Yeah. It's a very hard thing to do Completely. because, you know, it's a decision you've got to make. You've got to live with the consequences. And that's something that isn't often relayed in films is consequence. Is a wondrous thing that we'll rejoice in remembering. Well, as we put away our paint pots and pose for the snapping photographers, we leave you with the question what makes life so difficult? People? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me? It was torn. Out of time and space Our love affair May it always be A flame to burn Through eternity So take my hand With a That's a chick's movie.